Uh, Let's stand together. We're in chapter 9 of the story. And uh, for those of you that are visiting with us today, we are working our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation for 31 weeks, a break at Christmas, and then a break at Easter. And today, we're looking at a very, very interesting text. 22 verses, and I know you love to read because you know what I've noticed? The longer the text, the better the reading. So are you ready? I'm reading blue. And you're going to read the white, and this is what it says, In the days when the judges ruled, that's important, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And that's important. The man's name was Eliakim, and his wife was Naomi, and the, the names of their two sons were Malan and Kilian, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. I'm glad we got some reading to do. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Very nice. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, this mu- Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, 
because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the bare barley harvest was beginning. Nicely done. You see the harmony there? Let's pray together. Father, we again pause to acknowledge that you are among us through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. You're in this place. You're in our lives. Matter of fact, your word says that our bodies are the temples where you abide. And so now we pray that the same Holy Spirit that takes everything that you've accomplished in Jesus and makes it applicable, available, and possible in our lives, Father, that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and particularly as we go out into our lives, our marriages, our families, our schools, our work, our recreation where we get our services. And Lord, our neighborhoods and this city, and wherever it is, Lord, that we are from, as we return there, Father, that You, by Your Spirit, would give us the grace of the Holy Spirit to live out what it means to be fully devoted followers of the living Lord Jesus Christ in physical, tangible, and meaningful ways. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Now, if we love love stories, then you are going to love this one because it is a great one. Jane Austen, Nicholas Sparks, Charles Shakespeare, move over. This is not a Hallmark movie. Ruth is the original romantic narrative. And it is not a novel. It is true. It happened, it took place in real time, in a real place. It takes place in the midst of Israel, or Jacob's family nation, in the Promised Land, during the time of the Judges. Now, the book of Ruth is about three love stories. The love between three women the love between a man and a woman, and the love, of course, between God and His people, them, then, and we, now. So let's begin with love story number one, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. Now, in the story in our text, we are given a snapshot, a picture of how God works in ordinary lives. Now, one of the things that I love about Ruth and Naomi and Orpah is that they are just common, ordinary folks just like you and me. They're not the super people like Samson or Samuel. They are just like you and me. They are ordinary. They are common. They are everyday people. And Naomi's story is really a story about deep loss. Now, there is obvious loss in Naomi's story. 
We read about how Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies, and then to add insult to injury, then her two sons end up dying, Malan and Kilion. And, and Malan was Orpah's husband, and Kilion was Ruth's husband. So there is the obvious loss, but there is also what we might refer to as other loss. Now, the other loss comes in two parts, and so I just want you to follow me for a little bit. First of all, in our text, that we notice that Naomi and her husband and her two boys, they have to leave the promised land because there is a famine and things are not going well and things are desperate, and they have to travel and live for a while in the land of foreigners. They lived there actually for two decades, for about 20 years. Now I mentioned about how desperate things are in the promised land, and if you remember from last week when we talked about the judges, that there were two things that marked the period of the judges, the times of the judges. First of all, we may comment that the sort of the refrain during the time of the judges is that everybody did as they saw fit. Everybody did as they saw right in their own eyes. The second thing, if you'll remember from last week, is that during the time of the judges, for 111 years, the promised land, the people of God, are run over by raiders from different countries. And Moab is actually part of the problem. They actually were raiders and oppressors of Israel for eight or ten years or so, and we understand that as a part of the problem, the Moabites being oppressors of Israel's family nation. The second not-so-obvious loss is connected with this business of Moab and them being the enemy of God's people. So the second thing that we notice, that the not-so-obvious loss, is that Naomi's boys, her sons, Malan and Kilion, they marry Moabite women. Now, for if you don't have any background in the Bible, then this is what Deuteronomy tells us. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 23 tells us that the Moabites were a people who were not allowed to be a part of Israel's worship. Matter of fact, Jewish men were not allowed to marry Moabite women, and Jewish women were not allowed to marry Moabite men. And there's a number of reasons for that. First of all, is that Moab is a result of the incestuous relationship with Job and his, uh, one of his daughters. But the other thing, the other two things that are reality is that they were not allowed to be a part of Israel because of their inhospitality toward Israel as they were coming out of Egypt. And they made life more difficult for, Egypt, for Israel than it did ease their pain and their suffering. And the third thing is that Moab actually seduced the people of Israel into immorality. And therefore, the Moabites were cut off. They were not welcome. They were not allowed. They were not to be a part of Israel's worship. By marrying... Moabite, Moabite women, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, are cut off. They are spiritually separated. They are not welcome to be a part of Israel's worship. 
But let me remind us that even in our loss, God is still able to work. And He's still at work. And His ultimate aim is to bless us, to bless me and to bless you, even in the midst of our loss. And so it's an original, it's a dramatic opening that catches our attention. But there's also this. Naomi is a microcosm. She is a miniature. She is a parallel to what has happened in the Jacob or Israel's family nation. What is happening to Naomi has already happened to Israel's family nation. So I want you to consider for a moment, us to consider the similarities between God's upper story as it relates to the uh, Israel's nation, family nation, and Naomi's lower story, how things unfold in her life. Consider these similarities. Both Israel's family and Naomi's family have to go into a foreign country because of famine in their own. Israel goes to Egypt, Naomi and her family goes to Moab. Both are reduced to absolutely nothing. The Bible tells us that the people of Israel are reduced to slavery and we are told that Naomi comes back and she is reduced to emptiness, to nothingness. Even Naomi's statement that she makes to her friends or former friends, if you will, when she returns to Bethlehem and they say to her, is this not Naomi? And she says to them these words. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. When the people of Israel come out of Egypt, one of the things that they, we note is they travel three days in the wilderness and they come to this place where the water is bitter. And they can't drink it. And they call the place Mara. Both as well experience a deliverance, an exodus, a return. The people of Israel experience a deliverance and an exodus out of Egypt and a return to the promised land. And of course, Naomi, she too receives an exodus, a deliverance, and she returns to her home country in Bethlehem. So what is happening to Naomi as already happened to Israel. There is a parallel. Naomi is a microcosm of what has already happened historically with Jacob's family and, and nation. But there's also this. Naomi's daughter, or Naomi rather, wants her daughters to go back home. Orpah did what was expected. She goes home to her family, to her mother's house, and to their gods. But Ruth does what is unexpected. And Ruth's response is some of the most beautiful words that has ever been penned in literature, even in the Bible. Listen to them again. And Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people, and your God, my God, where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me and be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Shakespeare couldn't have put it together in Romeo and Juliet better than that, and certainly not Nicholas Sparks or Jane Austen. But that brings us to our second love story between Ruth and Boaz. Now, Ruth chapter 2 and to verse 4 gives us the story. Now, there's a, we read these words in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. We read this, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. Now that's important. Now there's a little bit of background that some of us are going to need to sort of understand what that means. And it's this. It's called the provision or the role of the kinsman redeemer. Now, the text that we read, read in the New Testament, it says guardian redeemer, but we're going to use the word kinsman redeemer. It's a little bit better. Now, this all happens back in Deuteronomy in, uh, where God says to... Um, uh, where God makes a provision, and the provision simply comes down to this. It's also in Leviticus chapter 25... God makes this provision, and the provision is simply this, that if, a, if a, a man dies and his wife is left a widow, then it is the responsibility of the next male to marry that widow and provide children for that brother's family. So, for example, in our family, if... If, uh, God forbid, something would ever to happen to Scott in the Bible, Josh is to marry Jessica if they didn't have children, and to provide children so that Scott's name continues on in the earth. To have your name smitten from the earth is an absolute curse and punishment in the Old Testament. Now, so the Bible and the Jews take this obligation very seriously. Matter of fact, Jesus actually talked to the, uh, the religious leaders about this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. But what I like is what happens to the guy. Now, this appeals to my warped sense of humor. What happens to the guy who says that he is supposed to marry uh, Ruth, to raise up a family line for Killian. Here's what's supposed to happen. They are supposed to gather in the midst of the elders, and if the guy won't marry her and have children for his brother, then he is, she, the widow, in the presence of the elders, is to walk up to him, to the guy who won't marry her, take the sandal off his foot, spit in his face, now, I like that. I don't know why, but it just appeals to me. And this is what she is supposed to say in the hearing of everybody to listen. This is what's done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. And that guy that's lost his sandal and got spit in the face, 
his family forever. He is to be known and his family is to be known as the family of the unsandaled. It is a gross statement of reproach that they have, that he has to bear with. Now, this is what happens in our story. Naomi's closest relative will not marry Ruth to carry on Elimelech's family line, and this happens to him, and not in our text, but it would have happened. Now, this is okay with Boaz, because he's next in line, and he is in love with Ruth. Now, I'm not sure if Max Lucado is right here or not, that it was love at first sight, but it was, it was pretty close. So, Boaz becomes Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. But before we get to that, before we get to that, uh, there's some romantic drama that unfolds. Now, Boaz is loaded. Okay, Boaz is very wealthy. Ruth is honorable, she is humble, and she is attractive. Naomi is incredibly wise. And so Naomi sends Ruth, because they are poor, to glean grain in Boaz's field. Now, I want you to keep two things in mind. The first one is this. Remember, they didn't just return to Bethlehem, but they returned to Bethlehem as the barley harvest is beginning. Now, just a little background. In the Old Testament, if you had a field, you were not allowed to glean to the very edges of your field. You were supposed to leave some stuff around the outside of your field so the poor could come and they could have some grain. If you were an olive farmer, you could only shake the tree so much. There was a law about that. You had to leave some olives for, uh, your, for the poor. If you were a wine person, uh, you owned a vineyard, and you could only harvest so many grapes, you had to leave a certain amount of grapes so that the poor could come behind you and so that they could have some as well. Well, Ruth goes into Boaz's field and as he, she is gleaning on the outside, he sees her. And he is smitten. Uh-huh. And he says to his workers, not only is he good to her, and gives her more than she can actually glean or would glean, he says to his workers, she's mine, boys. Don't come near. My kids aren't here today. Jessica isn't here, and Scott isn't here, and jo Josh isn't here. I'm going to tell you a little story. Seven years ago, seven years ago, Ruth and I took up our responsibilities here at Glad Tidings Church. Actually, this is our seventh anniversary Sunday today. I know, eh? Time flies when you're in a coma. And uh, so before I started, I uh, got a van and I got a lot of books. So I, I brought my books up early. And uh, of course, Jessica, who was Jessica Havisto, uh, was already on staff here. They, she had been hired bef long before I got here. And so um, you know, Jessica was on staff. And so when I came to unload the books, uh, Scott came with me, he took a day off, and we drove up and kind of made a day of it and kind of a fun thing about it. And uh, he met Jessica. Well, he was kind of quiet and didn't say a whole lot, and I didn't, didn't even think anything of it until Josh got married. 
or sorry, when him and, sorry, when Scott and Jessica got married, and uh, I found out that when uh, we were going home, uh, Josh, Scott rather, Scott texts Josh and says, by the way, dad's assistant, dibs. <laughs> this is Boaz, this is Boaz. He's saying to his guys, hey baby, she belongs to me. I saw her first. Don't be harassing her, but I want you to bless her. But here's where the story really gets interesting. Ruth 3 tells us that Naomi gets Ruth cleaned up, nice clothes, perfume, and Ruth is looking good, and she's smelling fine. You know what I'm saying? Now, Ruth, in biblical custom, Ruth is supposed to, so Naomi says to Ruth, now listen, the barley harvest is on, and these Jewish guys, they're drinkers, and they party after the harvest. So when Boaz is in a drunken stupor and falls asleep, what I want you to do is this. Now this will feel bizarre to us in North America, but this is biblical custom 4,000 years ago. Naomi says, what I want you to do is go down to the threshing floor, the field, and I want you to uncover Boaz's feet, and I want you to tuck yourself in by his feet and put his covering over you. Now, there's nothing lewd, there's nothing risque, there's nothing immoral or ethically questionable that's taking place here. Ruth does it. In the middle of the night, the Bible tells us in Ruth 3, that Boaz, something wakes him up. I would imagine with a woman at your feet, eventually that's going to come to your senses. Somebody looking as fine and smelling as good as Ruth. And here is Ruth laying at his feet. And of course, Boaz says, who are you? And she says this. I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the cover of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. Now, the NIV does not translate this well. But the ESV does. And the English Standard Version says this. Boab asks, who are you? And Ruth says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Did you get it? Now, if you can't get beside this, there's something wrong with our love bug. Spread your wings over your servant. Listen to what Psalm says. Psalm 17 says, verse 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your wing. But some of us will recognize it better in Psalm 91, verse 4, and He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. He is, he, his faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Do you know what that means? 
Just for Ruth to say to Boaz, cover me with the wings of your garment. What she's saying to him is, cover me. Cover me. Listen to the words of Jesus. As he goes out unto the Mount of Olives. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, he says these words. He looks out over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Jerusalem, Jesus says, I wanted to cover you with my wings, but you did not want it. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. And he wants to cover us. Jesus is the closest relative we have in connection to the Father. Proverbs says that there is one who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And Jesus wants to cover us. Jesus wants to redeem us. Jesus, His invitation is, I will cover you if you let me. Because I want to. Now think about that in connection with this. To be covered means... You are accepted. To be covered means that you are accepted. To be uncovered means that you are rejected. Now, any student knows what this means. When they get their confirmation letter from the university or the college that they've applied to, they get the statement, you are accepted. You know what that means? That means that they want me. They want me. To be accepted means to be wanted. And when Ruth 11, 3.11 says, where Boaz says, don't be afraid, I will do for you what you ask. In other words, I will be your kinsman redeemer. And what Ruth hears is this, I accept you. And then eventually we read, because we have to fast forward. In Ruth chapter 4, these words, and so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. But that brings us to our third story, our third love story. The love doesn't end there. The third love story is the love story between God and us. His people then and us today. The love note that you and I receive from God is this. I will cover you. I accept you. I want you. That's the love letter. Now, if we aren't able to see God's love for them then and us now, we haven't seen that yet, then let's look at the text again. Now remember what I told you, that they were going to Bethlehem, but they were also going at the time of the barley harvest beginning, right? You remember that? Okay. 
So verse 22 says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, the Moabite, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. They came to Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem means house of bread. What did Jesus say that he was? He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The bread of life is born in the house of bread. Jesus was born in a bakery. But if we don't get that, get this. Ruth chapter 4 verses 13 and 17 says this. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now follow it. Verse 17 says, And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Now, we read these same words in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, and this is what it says. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David... That King David is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And Ruth, the Moabite, is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. A Moabite woman. Deuteronomy 23 says that Moabites had no part in Israel. That they were forbidden to marry, the Jews were forbidden to marry Moabite women and vice versa. But here's the love story. Love chose a foreign woman. Love chose a Moabite. Love chose a Gentile. Love chose somebody who was shut out and cut off to be the grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love wants us to know that the blood of a Moabite grandmother flows through the veins of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And love wants us to know this morning that Jesus is our Redeemer. He is the Redeemer of all people. Love wants us to know that God's love is greater than any one nation. Love wants us to know that God's love is greater than our ethnicity, than our family, than our background or our heritage or our past. Love wants you to know. Love wants me to know. Love wants us to know that we are covered. And love wants us to know that we are accepted. There is no way 
is it that we could turn down a love so great as this? There's no way we could turn down a love so great as this, is there? Is it not amazing? I'm going to invite Carla and the team. And Carla, I'd really like you to, before we do the goodness of God, and I'd love to do that during communion, but would you start with good, good Father? Because that's exactly what He is, don't you think? Father, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would You speak to my heart? Would You speak to our hearts afresh anew? For those of us today that have been on the road of faith for a long time, speak to us again as we come to the table and we remember the death and the suffering and the burial of Jesus Christ. For those of us today that have become distant and on the fringe that today, Father, that You would open our hearts and You would stir faith and love in our hearts and we would say yes to that love again. And for those, Father, this morning here and online or those that will watch the archive, in a couple of weeks or a couple of days, Father, that You would stir faith in their hearts. That their hearts would be stirred by Your love. You want to cover us. You say, I want You. And I accept You. Despite Your background, Your past, mistakes and your sin where you've been and who you've become Lord you are our kinsman redeemer to bring us under the wings of our father to cover us may it be so this day in Jesus